You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the Disability After Dark feed. And I'm dropping in on this Friday to surprise you and let you know that my show, Quarantine and Chill, that I created last year to talk about disability during the pandemic is back. And that is what you'll be listening to today. But I have decided to give Quarantine and Chill a new name because the pandemic is still going and I wanted to give it a whole new name and a whole new series to go on them. And I wanted to talk about different things. So I've called it Palsy and the Pandemic this time because you know Drew loves alliteration. Definitely for sure. So Palsy and the Pandemic is my new series all about the continuation of this trash fire that is the pandemic. And I'm excited to share the first episode of that with you right now. On this very first episode, I sit down with my new friend and the next generation of disability activist, my friend Anya Herman, who is 14 and lives with cerebral palsy. And we talk about her experiences throughout the pandemic, trying to navigate uh, in-person school and why online learning is actually a blessing for her and way more accessible. We talk about her picking up her knack for writing and how she wants to write disability stories and how she's been doing that throughout the pandemic and how she wants to write essays about being a disabled teen throughout the pandemic and how why those kind of representation things have been important to her. We talk about the need for vaccines and what she feels about that. We talk about a lot of stuff here, but I loved sitting down with her and I love sitting down with, with Anya and talking about talking to the next generation of disabled people about activism in the pandemic. And I just love talking to young disabled people about being young and disabled and, and figuring out what that was. Because I was not a teenager. I was not 14, but 23 years ago. So it's really cool to talk with new people and hear how they are. I hear how new, how how young disabled people are coping with the pandemic. And that's what we did today. So here's my interview with Anya Herman right now on the new episodes, Palsy in the Pandemic, episode one, right now. Anya Herman, hello. Hi. Hi, so nice to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing so well, and I'm actually really excited because you are on the new season of what was my kind of pandemic show that I did last year called Quarantine and Chill, and now I've turned it into palsy in the pandemic to talk more about pandemic stuff and disability. So, yay, you're the first person on this new season, I guess you could call it. I don't know. But hey, nice That's to have awesome. So nice Thank to have you, you here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so Anya, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. So, hi internet, my name is Anya Herman, and I'm a 14-year-old disability activist, advocate, speaker, and writer. I um, am a current high school freshman, 
navigating my very first year of high school during a paralyzing pandemic. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so, there's so much to unpack there. Wow. So um, that's great. And I applied to join, um, or well, applied to not join, but be guest on the podcast during, after I saw an ad on um, uh, the Disability After Dark Instagram, which was, which is so funny and such a great resource for me. And um, Drew is also very funny. So you also check it out if you haven't already. Thank you. You should all follow me on Drew Gerza on Instagram. You can follow me there. Uh, But it's cool that for like, there's so many things I want to, I want to kind of unpack there first. First of all, I don't know how I would be managing as a 14 year old kid going through a pandemic right now. Like I am barely managing it now as a 37 year old person. So the fact that you're going through it props to you. Like that's, it's hard. Oh yeah. You know, I, I am lucky in that um, I have a certain amount of privilege during the pandemic because both of my parents can work from home and, you know, we are all as safe as you can be during a global pandemic where people are dying. Um, and so um, I'm very lucky in that respect that um, I'm able to live comfortably during a pandemic, and the privilege of that is not lost on me in the slightest. That's awesome, and I'm 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 glad that that you do have the privileges that you do, so that you can feel safe during this time. Because even with our privileges, it's still really scary. So I'm I'm really glad that you're safe and well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your disabilities and how they impact your day to day life? Sure, yeah. So I my official disability diagnosis is CP, specifically quadriplegia. Um, yeah, so CP is kind of an umbrella term used to categorize varying levels of the disability. So I don't I don't know. I use a wheelchair that I don't identify I mean I identify as someone with CP, but I'm also not like, hi, I'm Anya and I have CP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just on your like doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I use a power chair to get around um, outside of the house, like to get from point A to point B with school and um, hanging out with my friends, loitering around town. Um, so yeah, I am. I'm. I'm only physically disabled. I have no mental disability. So. That's how my disability impacts my day-to-day life, at least physically. And then how, and then, so with your physical disabilities, how have you been impacted by COVID so far? So I have not, well, so I don't leave the house very much anyway. And Me you're too. like, oh, Me too. she's so, you know, like, oh, how sad. Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm comfortable being in my space with the people around me. Um, And like, as a disabled person, I kind of have learned that like home is safe and home is accessible. And now like when I say safe, it's like, there's not going to be a major pothole that I'm going to fall into 
or anything. So I don't know. I haven't really noticed as much of a change in my daily life with COVID. And honestly, the biggest change for me is not having to go into in-person school. And that, for me at least, is positive. And again, I'd like to address my privilege in saying that. Um, because I know that there are a lot of people in the pandemic who are struggling with not seeing their friends or seeing their classmates or getting person-to-person instruction or, I don't know, having school spirit days. Do those exist? I think they do. I mean, I think they do. Yeah. Are they, I mean, especially for you, you're in the States, right? So especially like for you. Maybe I don't, um, think, I don't think in Canada they do. I don't not that I know I never had that when I was in school. Yeah, I don't know. I think I kind of hyped up. I never really did any of that, mostly because it was like wear a type of shirt, and I forgot. <laughs> and <it> was like, <laughs> um, so yeah, but but um, I oh I remember what I was saying, but I for me at least remote learning is great because I feel safe and I feel comfortable in my space and I can interact academically and um, not have to deal with any of the physical barriers that would have, um, that I would have had to do battle with when I got to school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things that you have, and I think I asked this in a later question, but I want to ask it now because I loved it. What are the, tell me kind of the things that you've picked up as you've, during the pandemic, some of the stuff that you've been doing around Oh, yeah. So I, during the pandemic, I have had so much time on my hands as have so many people. And there are only so many sitcoms available on Netflix to binge watch. Um, I, I really like Schitt's Creek. It's a Canadian show. It is. It's pretty awesome. I met Dan Levy last year, two years ago, and I freaked out. He's amazing. It was great. Moira is my spirit animal. I love her so much. (laughs) I think Moira is all of our patroness. Um, She, Moira is just the greatest. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, not to turn this into a Shit's Creek fan podcast. Oh, I mean, if you it can be that. One, I, I'm listen, available. If you want to come on and make it a Shit's Creek fan podcast, I am here for that. <laughs> but um, I've also, in that spare time where I'm not, um, where I'm not watching TV or hanging out with my family, I've been writing a lot more as, I've been writing a lot more and sharing my stories a lot more. Um, just because of the amount of time and like the amount of introspection that the pandemic allows you to do, you're able to like find out what your passions are in life and you like make a plan and you chart the passion and you, you know, you, you do what makes you happy, which I realize is a lesson again, privilege in being able to like, not after worrying about like getting food, and I'm able to be like, I just want to vibe and write and watch TV during this pandemic where people are unemployed and sick and losing their homes and all of this stuff. So, you know, I realized how lucky I am in that. But 
as a writer, this pandemic really has been a blessing in disguise. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? Like what, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of a blessing has it been to you, for you? Sure. Yeah. So this has allowed me to like, I can get all my work done for school now that we're actually in like second semester. And I'm like, I still have a couple hours. So I'm going to go upstairs and write for two hours. My family. And so the amount of time and the amount of like just the, sh the sheer ability to like marinate my own creative juices and be able to come up with things just because of the luxury of, oh my, I'm not worried about like, I have to go talk to the board. I have to go talk to the school board because the bathrooms aren't accessible. I can just be like, oh, I came up with a really cool story idea. Let's type that out now. And, you know, we, we were recording this twice because the internet was crap. So, yeah. So, the first time we recorded this part, you told me the kind of stuff you're writing about. And I'd love for you to tell us more. Sure. Yeah. So, a lot of my writing, I'm, and obviously, this is, of course, a gradual build up from the seven year old unicorn and rainbow story that I used to write, has focused a lot around disability. My experiences as a disabled teen, my experience is as a woman, my experience is as someone with great, almost blinding, or I'm sorry, that, that was not a word I should have used, um, almost like all-consuming ambition and drive. And I, I like to write characters that are multidimensional and also I like to give voice to communities, especially the disability community, where there weren't a lot of disability books growing up. Or if they were, there weren't a lot of characters who had disabilities who were represented in children's literature and YA, which is young as old as you um, don't know the um, library code as well as I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The age of didn't exist, and when it did exist, if I'll say if it did exist, often that representation was incredibly flawed. And when I say flawed, I don't mean in like, oh, this character has flaws to make the the reader want to, and to make the character like edgy or cool. It's like or like make the character want to relate. It's like you are writing caricatures, stereotypes incorrect things your people write inspiration porn about disability all that kind of not not good flaws bad damaging and hurtful flaws um and you know i want to go back to something you said that i really resonated with you said you know you you write about your teenage experience and i think that is so valuable and so uh and just so we don't hear enough about teenagehood through the lens of disability. And I said, this is the first time we recorded, I'm gonna say it again, because it's important. I would love to help you make a blog or make a thing or do something where that writing can be seen by people because that that stuff isn't really necessary. We don't have enough of that. Oh, wow, that um, I'm still as stunned as the first time you brought it up. I can't believe someone is busy and is, um, influential as yourself has 
time to help me grow my writing skills. So um, that's like a huge thing. And I, of course, want to immortalize. I like immortalize, um, though. We could call it that. Sorry. <laughs> I normally have a better control of the English language than I do right now. I'm sure I'll get it back at some point. It's but okay. Yeah, <laughs> my my big plan, I a big goal of mine is I want to write a book of personal essays about being a disabled teenager. I I don't know. I think that's been a goal of mine that has developed since like age four when I was writing stories on napkins. Wow! So at age four. You wanted to write like disabled teens, stories? Really? No, 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 no. That's why I said it grew. At age four, I wanted to write stuff about rainbows and clouds and unicorns. I mean, you should totally write a fantasy novel now for a young adult audience about a teenager in a power chair dealing with rainbows, unicorns. <laughs> I'm here for that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll start with my essay collection and then we'll branch off. All right. Um, um, so I mean, I mean, that's a really awesome thing. And I'm so glad that you've been able to use your, the time in the pandemic to figure out that this is a passion of yours. I mean, it sounds like you've always known that, but like to really narrow it down to like, I want to create stories that are representative of disabled people that are different from what I'm seeing at 14. Like I have to say that even that blows my mind because at 14, all I wanted to do was flirt with boys and eat pizza and watch TV. So the fact that like, the fact that this is what you're doing now is really, really powerful and so needed. Yeah, well, I get you on the um, second two. Um, romance is not on my radar during a global pandemic, but I don't know. Maybe it will Smart. be soon. Maybe not. Smart. It's... <laughs> That that's a smart way to go. It probably, it probably shouldn't be on your radar during the global pandemic. I I, I support that. Um, so, in the last year of this pandemic, we've seen a bunch of discussions of ableism and institutional ableism and medical ableism and all these things coming out. Realizing that there's there's huge cracks in the fabric of like disability understanding brought on by this pandemic cracks that have always been there but have been exacerbated by this thing have you in the last year experienced any ableism and if you have can you share it with us yes um, i'd be happy to i most certainly have um my biggest thing that i want to touch on for this question is i do not live in a town first of all the background i don't live in a town where remote learning was an option prior to the pandemic so I think the whole return to school campaign is incredibly ableist since my school, my new high school, isn't even acknowledging and like completely disregarding that perceptions like me, remote learning is great because it allows me a level of participation that I that isn't possible in the classroom once you factor in the accessibility factors that I have to deal with when attempting to participate in class. Those include, but are not limited to, I sound like I'm pitching a commercial. Um, you do, but it's adorable. Keep going. Those include, but are not limited to 
desks that aren't the right height for my chair. Um, not no door buttons, no automatic door buttons, so I can like push them. Um, on classrooms or in bathrooms. Wow, there's no automatic door in a ba in the bathroom. I um and. I think I mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. I just transferred from my middle school to my high school. And in February of my eighth grade year, they finally, finally put on automatic door buttons. And that was only wow. after. And wow. that was only after I got stuck. That's in the bathroom. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, so actually, for you, remote learning is a blessing in a way because everything you have is right there. Yeah, definitely. And then I just want to make another point too. Um, it was also I feel incredibly able. It's when nowhere in the return to school plan, plan, not in any of the town meetings or board meetings or anything, did they talk about elevator access and how elevator like how usage of the elevator is going to work because if you think about it my school has like 3500 kids in it so there could be as many as like 20 or 30 people waiting for one elevator yeah do you know yet so like, there's no way to do social. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Do you do you know yet how many how many people have disabilities who might need the elevator there yet? No, I've never I've never gone in. Well, I've gone into school, but I would assume a bunch. Yeah. So, like, there were at least fifteen or twenty when I, I maybe it was more like ten when I was um, going on my tour of it back in February, again, of my eighth grade year, because I have to put in all the grunt work so that high school will not be a trash fire with accessibility. I had to start that early. But I digress. I'm going off on a tangent, which I promised myself I wouldn't do. So and since, It's okay. This whole podcast is a tangent. It's, it's all right. You're good. And so since elevator access was nowhere highlighted or, like, talked about, no, there was nothing, I had no idea what they were, how they were going to handle like social distancing in the elevators. What I was going to do if a kid ripped off their mask and I was stuck in that glorified tin can with the germs for the four-minute elevator ride. And I'll tell you, I guess I'll end the question with this: like, I am not risking my entire household safety to go to school. When the deeper nuances of my safety beyond like social distance and being good human, which please social distance, I'm not bashing social distance, so you need to do it. But the deeper, more disability centric parts of that aren't considered. There's no way I'm going in. Yeah, of course not. And I think, I think, I think just for your safety and the safety of your caregivers and your family, like you, you shouldn't go in. It just makes sense. And, and the school should. Definitely reconsider its elevator policy and should definitely like, like, I didn't, until you said that, I didn't realize how, how problematic that would be in a COVID time. And you're totally right. Completely right. Um, 
Has there been, other than the fact that you become a, you want to become like an author and you, know, you want to write disability stories, which I love in a way that I can explain, it's awesome, do it. Um, has there been any other positive changes to your disability experience or your understanding of disability during the pandemic? Yeah, so I have, I've been in the first few days of the pandemic, I was incredibly anxious because no one knew anything about it like no one knew just no one like no one knew anything there was a virus going around people were supposed to wear masks and then the cdc said not to wear masks and then, then it went back to wearing masks so basically everything was chaos and then um i just as things started to settle down, it was like, this really feels very, there is not much of a difference of how my life was in January of last, of the prior, not like this past January, which just happened a month ago, the January of 2020 to yeah. March of 2020. And I think my disability has made me well equipped to handle that not even the uncertainty, but also the complete and utter social isolation that comes hand in hand with the pandemic. So, yeah. So, so just so that I can repackage that a little bit, you're excited. Well, not excited, but you're comfortable in knowing that, like, you know how to do isolation. Then you're like, it's a comfy thing for you. Okay, so I push back on the word. I'm not pushing back into you in a negative tone, but like I'm not, it's not comfortable. It still sucks. But like, because I'm not saying like I want the pandemic to continue. I'm in no way trying to romanticize the pandemic, but like, of course. It's almost like, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's like, it's. It's like a continuation of what you've already been doing. Right. Or, yeah, it's not, or it's like, it's like having a long-standing, like, like if I had, if I broke my arm or something and like had to keep a cast on for a year, it like, it doesn't feel comfortable, but you also like, know how to do things with the other arm so it's, it doesn't yeah it's tolerable it's a tolerable yeah. thing you manage right it's it's tolerable it's not ideal and it's not comfortable but i am not like i'm not drowning here and i also i don't know and i'm, I'm lucky enough that like i don't have any necessarily mental health issues that have arisen because of the pandemic that might be another thing my disability allowed me to like i i don't necessarily feel the social isolation from the pandemic on as deep a level as some other people yeah yeah and so um have there been any other positive changes to your disability experience or your understanding of disability right now um Like I, I live 
down a semester and a half of my school year without conforming to the ableist school system and like not and like I can just be me and be in my own space and and live my school life the way I want to without having to worry about other outside factors that I have to do other students. So, and I think that's a positive change to my disability experience in that I'm actually allowed to be the disabled person I am. And I'm not having to, again, jump through hoops just to get a quality education. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so, so given the fact that you're kind of home homeschooling right now because of the pandemic, like you you're allowed to be as disabled as you need to be in your space while you're doing something. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, um, yeah, that's definitely something. Yeah, that's basically what I was trying to say. Of course, you made it more concise and lovely. But yes, <laughs> I, I echo those statements. Don't worry, I'm not always a wordsmith. I often stumble over the things I want to say. Don't worry. Um, um, one of the things we're seeing this year as the, as we kind of enter the middle beginning of 2021, we're really focused on, and we have been since December, both in Canada and the States and kind of all over the world, we've been focused on uh, the vaccine rollout. And we've heard so many stories of disabled people being left behind, disabled people not being eligible, maybe not getting the vaccine at all. What are your thoughts as somebody who, because CP is, you know, technically, technically, CP is a high risk disability for COVID. So what are your thoughts uh, with respect to a vaccine rollout? And where do you think disabled people ought to be scheduled in the rollout? Um, so I'm just going to talk about this because I have not, um, like, I don't read Canadian news as much as I, maybe I will start doing that now, but um, I can just speak on my experience as someone in the United States, and that's that full stop, like, there's no way getting around this. Disabled people need to be prioritized with vaccine rollout. Yep. It, it needs to happen, and I'm, I made more of an answer, but I just would like to, like, repeat that point that Disabled people need to be prioritized. It needs to happen. And many of my mentors who are adults with disability are higher risk even than I am and need to be prioritized. So they are sick. Where I live in um, Illinois, my parents, my parents who are non-disabled and they're comfortable with me sharing that, like, like, I'm not, like, I'm not, I don't know, they're comfortable with me saying that. They were eligible to get the COVID vaccine because they're technically my quote personal support workers. Yeah. But people who identify as disabled, at least at the time of writing this, writing my bullet point, aren't able, aren't eligible to receive the vaccine. Like that is just the worst kind of irony. I mean, it's the worst kind of irony. It's the worst kind of ableism. It's just the worst kind of all the things. Like, why aren't we front and center? Like. You know, and the same is in Canada. We are not at a place yet where, like, even where I live, I live in a supported housing unit where I have staff come and take care of me. But 
you know, we just had a conversation the other day with my staff about like, oh, well, you know, we have to talk to the Ontario Public Health and we're trying to put together, we're trying to put together a, a social media campaign at some point to be like, these are the people that need to be vaccinated. Here's how them not being vaccinated will affect their lives. And so I would agree with you that I think, you know, we ought to be front and center at the, at the rollout. We should be along with the 80 plus and 60 plus year old people. We need to be first. Right. And I would also like to make a point um, that is also about vaccine prioritization. Um, in my country, at least, there is a lot of, and I'm trying to couch this the best way that I can, there is a certain group of people who are in power and are part of the the government of America who deny that COVID is real. They deny the effects it has on people. You can they say Republican. Don't. You can say that. you can say Republicans. Well, obviously, we don't want to tie them all with the same feather because I'm I sure mean, one of them. Don't we? Don't, don't we? I mean, if if anyway, it's fine. Could fine, we? fine. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> A, a majority of the American Republican Party, there we go, that word. There it is, um, there it is. Denies that COVID exists and that COVID is real and all of this stuff. Um, they deny that people are dying. They deny that people need stimulus checks and all of this stuff. And yet, they get the vaccine because yeah. they work in Congress. Yeah, I mean, I saw the picture of... of, uh, of- <laughs> Rubio a couple weeks ago get his vaccine and I remember seeing that on Twitter and blowing up and being like what is what is this what is, what, is, what you don't deserve to what like why are you first in line I so, thought it was fake senator like yeah a, if it was so fake why are you getting the vaccine senator yeah like, yeah yeah so I, I understand completely um so Anya why do you think and I think I think I know the answer but I'd love to hear your thoughts why do you think it's important for people to stay home and to protect disabled people and themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Stay home. Please stay home. Please. I get it. I know you're bored and tired and lonely and want to go see your friends. I do too. I get it. You don't need to tell me how much you want to go to brunch. (laughs) <laughs> no, that was funny. But in all seriousness, for every frivolous and unsafe gathering you attend, people with disabilities and other people too are getting seriously ill with the virus or dying. It's uh, in the grand scheme of things, you can skip your brunch if it <laughs> saves people's lives. And also, I'm going to put it this way. Every single one of you able-bodied people out there that are flooding the rules right now are going to become disabled. And when you become disabled and when you become chronically ill or whatever it is that happens to you, because guess what? It's coming for you. When it comes for you, you're, you, you're going to want somebody to take your needs seriously, just like we want people to take our needs seriously. So stay home, please. Yeah, stay home. Uh, 
And of course, when we say like it's coming for you, we don't mean in like the or do we? I suppose. I'll I mean, speak. we mean we just I, I mean, mean. I don't mean in like I'm trying to scare you. Like I'll scare will, you. Okay, maybe through will. I'll but say I won't. it. I'll scare you. It's coming for you. Disability like, is going to be a part of your life, and you should. You should when when it does. And we have our next pandemic in twenty years. You're gonna want. You're gonna want someone to take care of you and someone to help you and someone to make sure you're safe. So try to do that now. And even if you have, I'd like to point out because in at least my in my country, at least some people are starting to get the vaccine. Even if you have got the vaccine, you don't get to just go around and be like. I got the vaccine, so now I'm not going to wear a mask or do any of the irresponsible things that you've been doing for the past year. Yeah. Just because you have the vaccine, we don't know, and this is why I'm trying to avoid making scientific generalizations, and like I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to perpetrate what I don't think are false claims that could be proven false, and like... You oh, sorry, sorry. This is a science podcast. Um, I brought you on here because I thought you were a scientist. How dare you deceive me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so you're so you're not a doctor, and you're saying so, but like, um, just because you have the vaccine doesn't mean you cannot wear a mask or can hop on the next flight to Timbuktu like be responsible and just be, just be respectful That's, I mean, it's not even responsible be just be wouldn't you want somebody to give it to care about you wouldn't you want somebody yeah. to, to care for like we all we, we hear people say all the time and I've said this a bunch on these episodes we hear people say oh I want to do right by the disabled people that I know in my life cool you want to do right by the disabled people you know in your life that's cool. In order to do that, stay home. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. And um, and also, I'd like to point out that if you are someone who has received a vaccine, like, and obviously I'm not talking about, like, the healthcare workers who, like, they definitely should have been prioritized as much. Like, hold on. Yeah, like you, by getting the vaccine, you are lucky because there are many other people who want, who need the vaccine. Who, need who, it. who, yeah, like go, and I'm not saying that the people who have received it didn't need it, unless you were in the aforementioned category where you didn't care about COVID and didn't deserve <laughs> it. Like, like, I'm trying to cover my bases here, and because I know this is recorded, so I don't want to come off. I love we listening to you like try to get there. It's really funny, but I support you. No, see, this is actually like I'm a bit more cautious with this podcast than I would be if like it wasn't recorded, just because I know the posterity of the internet. Well, pretend that it's not. And like the fact, well, yeah, like I'm trying. I don't know. I just I don't want to say something that could reflect badly on me in 20 years. Not that I'm giving you like a canned spiel. I. We're having an honest conversation, but I, so, I don't sorry. know. So you were saying you were saying you were saying that um. But like, 
you have if you have received the vaccine you do have a you are lucky and you need to just like all the people who made it possible for you to get the vaccine and like you just need to be respectful of everyone else and not go gallivanting on trips to martha's vineyard and i mean the next I mean, the next thing you should do, the second after you get the jab, and you start feeling yeah, better, stay home. Yeah, home. that. But also, say to your next person, like, or put on social media, because we're seeing a lot of stuff on social media right now of people. Oh, look at me! I got the jab. Yeah. Okay. The next thing you should post is, "I'm really lucky that I got the jab." What are we doing for disabled and chronically ill people? Like, right. that should be your next thing you post about. It's like. I'm really happy that I got it. What about my friend Drew or Anya? Like, how, what can we do to make sure they're okay? Right. I, again, spot on. Like, just use your privilege as able-bodied people to, you know, so, and even if you're not able-bodied, even if you're disabled, use your privilege of being able to get the vaccine to say, what are we doing for the next population that needs it? That's what I think. Um, yeah. Again, um, I totally agree with that. So we kind of answered this question at the beginning. I'm going to ask it again. Maybe you have more thoughts. Initially, when the pandemic started a year ago, the idea of being kind of alone, we kind of know as disabled people, as you've kind of mentioned, we kind of know how to navigate being alone and navigate the isolation a little bit. We know how to do that. And like with you living with your family and having them be your primary caregivers, you're not necessarily alone, but we know how to be disabled and and quote-unquote isolated and alone did you you've kind of mentioned how that's like you know breaking your arm it's not comfortable but it's tolerable do you think that yeah it, like, you think that a year on like if this goes on for another year do you think you, your views on that will change or has it changed since last year what are your thoughts oh yeah I definitely have more thoughts I am like a um I I definitely have more thoughts because again um, quick answer. So, okay, quick personal anecdote. Like the day I got home from school, that March thirteenth or whatever it was, and everyone else was like, "Oh my God, we're gonna be stuck in our houses." And I'm like, "Wait, wait." I said to my mom, "Like, wait. So we're just in our houses, alone, hanging out." not having to go to in-person school for two whole weeks and it was like it was very much a flip of what the population was experiencing because the i'm sorry the general population was experiencing because again like school and social activities and being out in the world are always great for me often they come with ableism um all of this stuff that, like, I was almost relieved to have a break from having to be activist Anya for two weeks. And then the pandemic continued and it was like, okay, you've had your break, back on the horse you go. Um, and like, on a totally different tangent there, because I do kind of want to talk to you about this because I think it's important. Um, yeah. You know, you're 14 and you kind of you positioned yourself as an activist like that's a really heavy that's a really heavy kind of title to give yourself at 14 like 
how did you come to that idea of wanting to do that? And like, what, how does it feel to be so young and disabled so, and wanting to do that? Yeah, so I don't want to make it sound like I've been forced into the role, but I kind of didn't have much of a choice because there's, okay, so I have parents who are lovely enough that they, they want to support me as a disabled person. And like they, they, they get it to a higher degree than maybe some other people would. Right. Am I making sense? Yeah, so like, totally. So like we are a team. We we fund all of this stuff as a team. But at some point, you're not six years old anymore writing a letter to the principal about how they should take the word handicapped off a parking sign. Wow, you were six. Wow, you were six and you wrote that letter? Yeah, it probably was six. And one of my, my, um, not to go from yet another mini tangent, but, um, yeah, I, they kept, and this was, of course, young naive, young naivete as a child, child. Like, they kept saying, oh, you know, if the principal saying was like, if you know better, do better. And I'm like, and in the letter, I was like, I think you know better, so do better. <laughs> and like, as a six-year-old, you you didn't think about the impact that it would have on you eight years later reading that. But then I was like, oh, wow, I mean, that's a power move. I mean, I mean, when I was six, I was certainly not writing my principal advocating to have the word handicap off the, the like that's that is a power that's a power move like you clearly have activism in your blood uh yeah. wow wow but can you repeat the second part of your question so you asked like how i can you just repeat the question real yeah quick? i asked how you felt about activism and how how like how did you feel how did you come to that place so yeah to, call yourself an activist like i didn't have much of a choice and then at some point like your parents like i said like can't advocate for you anymore they can like advocate behind you they can they can like support you but at some point you have to use your own agency and use the stuff that has been you have to be your own advocate because there really is no one else who fully gets it. And hey, so, can I just can I can I just tell you that that I was not this articulate at fourteen years old. I oh, was not like I was. I was not like I am in awe listening to you being like, "How is this person fourteen? Like, wow!" So like from one disabled person to another, like what? do whatever you got to do like that's really awesome I, I applaud you thank you I actually um I have a thing to say on that real quick but I'll finish my first thing but first like being 14 and having to do this doesn't is it do, do I wake up every day being like yay I get to advocate for my right to go to the bathroom <laughs> no that does not happen. There are days when you want to punch things. There are days when you have what's called a delayed reaction yep. to stuff. Can I explain that? 
So actually, this was really recent, but I ended up writing an email to a teacher of mine who said something slightly ableist, and I'm not going to repeat it because I actually really like this teacher, and I think they are a nice, like, I like their class, and they are a nice person. Well, okay. Anyway, so I want, I went to educate them on the ableist nature of that comment and how it was hurtful, and I ended up going downstairs to tell my mom, and I got a banana and recounted the entire story laughing. And she just got progressively more horrified at it. And as I kept saying it, because it didn't really recognize to me that like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to do this now. And I'm gonna have to do all of this. And I'm gonna have to go to the email and I'm gonna have to write email and send a draft and all this stuff and couch your little feelings so you don't feel hurt when I educate you. Yeah. And so I got a delayed reaction like four hours later and I was just like, I hate everything. And like, um, I just and can't. Like, I, I was just, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. I was just, I was, I went up, because it was like almost my time, and I went upstairs and my mom was like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, delay, like, I'm just angry that I have to do this. I'm having a delayed ableism reaction. Thanks so much. Right, like, like I just, I wanted to punch things and I wanted to, to, like, I wanted, sometimes it's hard to be the activist person that I am because so much of how you are treated in the world is like it all falls on your shoulders as your own advocate. You're like trying to be a, a person with interest outside of activism. And it's really hard because again, all you want to do is sit at home and watch sitcoms, but instead you're doing this again. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your, um, what are your, when you talked about the things you want to do outside of activism, what is the stuff you want to do that's outside of activism that you that makes you happy? Uh, writing. It's really just that. Writing, yes. reading. Um, I play The Sims, which is an amazing game. <laughs> wow. Um, um, yeah. But, like, all of that. And then I would also like to touch on, because you could say, oh, you know, like, thank you very much, by the way, for the comment on my articulation. As a 14-year-old, I would just like to point out, and I, like, I have also experienced bias that comes from being 14, and going into these typically adult spaces and being like, hello, I'm here. Yeah. Like, acknowledge me. And I feel like a lot of my maturity has stemmed from a, the social isolation because I've been around adults a lot and not other children because other children go and, you know, hang out at playgrounds and the playgrounds were never accessible and I could never, I digress. But like, and so I've learned that like to get, to get progressive change that you need done and to advocate, you have to act like a mini adult and you have to articulate. And you have to act more mature. And you almost, you, 
your age is almost like a double-edged sword because if you go in there being like i'm 14 they'll underestimate you yeah. unless you give them a reason not to unless, why, unless you have like an adult behind you who's like yeah right, yeah what you're saying is true really yeah, annoying yeah. oh that irritates me so much um and I can, but what I guess what I was saying was like, when I, I was, I definitely did not have the drive you have, and I support you 100% in being so Thank young you very and, much. And having that drive as a disabled, like, you are the future of what it means to be disabled, and that's exciting. Thank you. Like, that's exciting to me. For, for me, it is. And I'm sure for my listeners, too. Um, I don't even know what question we're on anymore, so I'm going to just move right on to one. Um, so what advice would you give to other disabled folks who have gone through this for a year, who are probably tired and stressed out and isolated maybe more than we are? What advice would you say to them as a disability activist? What would you say to disabled people a year on? So as a disabled as a disabled and a human, I would probably say like, first, sit down or lay down or like get in a comfortable position because you need to prepare yourself for another year of this because with the right vaccine rollout is happening another year of this seems more than likely and you just need to make sure to take time to make yourself happy so like if you need to binge watch tv and eat cookies like do that lay down ignore your work i mean like don't don't ignore your work so much that you're stressed out to the nines about the amount of work you have to do. But like any deadline that does not impact your like physical health, like like don't not go to the don't not go to pick up medication. But like any work deadline that you have coming up can wait because it's more important to take care of your you that way you have the stamina to endure another year of a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I would say, like, at this point, we all talked about the beginning of last year of, like, you know, people can work from home and deadlines are whatever and time is whatever. And so, but now, you know, we think so we need that's to, gone now. Yeah, like, I think we need to bring it up again and remind people that deadlines can be flexed, things can be moved over. It doesn't have to happen immediately. Like, we, everything can, again, like we said at the beginning of last year, Everything can stop a little bit, and that's okay. Yeah, I definitely think that as the pandemic has continued, and we're basically at battle against the virus, quite frankly, like the able-bodied people, not, again, not trying you on with the same brush, but like a lot of people who are like running big companies or something are like, less flexible because they're like well you've had your adjustment time you you have to be able to do four times the amount of work just to keep up productivity standards yeah exactly and i mean tying that to myself in school like um they i'm still getting homework during the pandemic and i'm not complaining about the amount of homework i'm getting but like Deadlines are still there. I have a teacher who, um, like, 
it's a policy that unless you have an emailed reason, if you have late work, you don't get credit. Which I mean, to be fair, it's an honors class, but like Please that. Please tell me he relaxed that that rule for you, given that it's you know a global pandemic. I've never had that problem because I really <laughs> like that class. Oh. <laughs> Not saying I don't do my homework in other classes that I don't like, but I've never had that um, problem. But according to the, um, I don't know, I guess I've never had that problem, so I can't really answer that question perfectly. <laughs> Still, teach her of Anya's. Um, if you're listening to this, and I hope you do, because it was a great interview. Uh, you might want to reconsider the late policy just for now, because it's a pandemic. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. Just a thought. Well, yeah. So I guess that's my answer to that. But then. Nice. Good. Um, and the last question I have for you, Anya Herman, is when it's safe to go out and do stuff again, which could foreseeably be in 2029 now, who knows? Uh, but when it's safe to go and do stuff, what is the first accessible thing you want to do? Um, well, I'll probably go to the pool. Cool. Because, I love um, prior to COVID, I got really into lab swimming as a way to get aerobic exercise. But since COVID, that's ended and I miss it. I miss being in the water. I haven't swam in like five plus years. I love the pool so much, but finding somebody to keep me up in the water so I don't drown and die is a is a thing. Um, oh yeah, please don't drown and die. Yeah, so <laughs> I love the water though. I used to be able to really to be really really good at it, and now I haven't done it in a while. So, but the first successful thing that I will do, I think, after the pandemic, is just go out in my neighborhood and like touch everyone's hands and be like hi it's you amazing like, i just want to be able to like touch somebody and not feel weird about doing that you know yeah i don't know i guess if you're talking about the thing i most want to do in the pandemic like when it's over because the question was what will you do but i guess what i really want to do is i want to be able to go and like i want to be able to go have like I want to be able to like go to the coffee shop and then go to a movie with like 20 people and be like we can all like do things that aren't allowed in COVID times like I don't know eat ice cream together or something I mean I'm here for that I just want to be in a, I want to be less than six feet apart from someone yes like, and someone who is not your parents and your family that you've been seeing every day for the past year like, yeah. like or a your friend. caregiver like, like a friend like i want to have i want to be like want to come over for lunch like yeah, I, really, yeah. I, like I want to do that so much um i miss is, lunch dates right they're so good this was such a fun interview and thank you for being the first guest on the new season of palsy in the pandemic anya yes, herman thank you so much this was a joy how can the people follow you how can they get a hold of you how can they follow your work Oh, yeah. Um, I have an Instagram called, well, I'll do the at, at I-M-A-K-H-2044. And then I usually post there where I'm 
up to and whenever I get a running sneak out, I'm going to start posting them more regularly. So, yeah, follow me there if you want to see pictures of pie and writing and well, my you know, I think I said this the first time we recorded and I don't want to lose the opportunity to say it again. You should certainly 100% make an Instagram or some sort of blog that's called pie and palsy like that should be that should i give that to you that is yours to do with whatever you want but yes that could and be... I, I i'm calling it right now i'm totally gonna do something with that so um nobody steal it please amazing pie and palsy I'm thank here you for it. I'm here for it. so much for the lovely interview it was absolutely amazing this was such a fun I, I had so much fun doing this with you and i i would love to talk to you again Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll keep in touch. For sure. Anya Herman, thank you so much for coming on. Palsy in the Pandemic, a part of Disability After Dark. Thank you. Well, I have to say, Anya was one of my favorite interviews, and I was really glad to bring her on for the very first episode of Palsy in the Pandemic, where we talked to disabled thought leaders about their experiences through COVID-19, and I'm really excited that the Palsy in the Pandemic came back. So many people said that the initial run of Quarantine and Chill was important to them, and these kind of episodes were vital, so I thought, why not bring them back, because the episode, the, the pandemic is nowhere near done. So these voices need to be heard. If you want to be a guest on a Palsy in the Pandemic episode, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and use the subject line Palsy in the Pandemic application, and we'd love to have you. The episodes will probably go every Friday or every other Friday, depending on the number of people that I get wanting to do it, but these will be special episodes outside of our regular episodes. But uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, stay tuned for tomorrow's regular episode, as well as new stuff like handicasts and upcoming stuff on this feed. Thanks, friends. Bye.